Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, a union of professionals standing with more than 600,000 workers in education, human services, and health care with the Our Voice, Our Values, Our Union campaign. And United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. The controversy this year over former Governor Andrew Cuomo's $5 million memoir on how he handled the COVID-19 crisis has also highlighted the weaknesses of the body that's supposed to serve as New York's ethics police. The current governor, Kathy Hochul, is among those demanding changes to the Joint Commission on Public Ethics, or JCOPE. The Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt reports. JCOPE was created by Cuomo shortly after he took office a decade ago. It was dominated by his appointments and managed by a succession of close Cuomo allies until he resigned in a sexual harassment scandal in August. Largely viewed as ineffective, it early on earned the moniker J-Joke. The commission declined to look into allegations against, among others, former Cuomo top aide Joe Percoco. Federal prosecutors were not so reticent, and Percoco was convicted and served prison time for bribery and kickback schemes. Investigations into sexual harassment accusations against state lawmakers have languished for years. John Caney, with the government reform group Reinvent Albany, has long advocated for the commission to be restructured. Jacob, the State Ethics Commission, was completely politicized and undermined by Andrew Cuomo as a deliberate strategy uh, to keep them out of his own hair so he could do what he wanted to, which he did, um, and to serve as a cudgel to potentially punish political appointments. He says the way the commission has handled Cuomo's $5 million book deal is a case in point. In the summer of 2020, the commission staff signed off on Cuomo's request to write the book. It was about his management of the pandemic during the height of the crisis that spring. As part of the agreement, Cuomo promised to work on it on his own time and without any state resources. Some commissioners appointed by legislative leaders complained at the time that they weren't told of the approval until after it happened. In the months that followed, questions were raised about how the governor wrote the book. State Attorney General Tish James and an assembly committee looking into whether to impeach the governor found documents, including emails and text messages, that showed Cuomo did use his staff to help produce the book, says Caney. Cuomo lied to the Ethics Commission. Cuomo maintains that his aides volunteered to help him on the memoir. Since the former governor left in late August, the commission has done an about-face. Cuomo's successor, Governor Kathy Hochul, has replaced nearly all of Cuomo's appointees on the commission. In November, the commissioners, no longer influenced by the former governor's appointees, voted 12 to 1 to rescind Cuomo's book deal, saying he misrepresented the arrangement. They gave him 30 days to reapply for permission. When Cuomo did not respond, the commission voted in December to force him to give back his earnings on the deal. On the resolution, I'll call the roll. The resolution asked the attorney general to collect the money. Motion carries. Cuomo attorney Jim McGuire fought back, calling Jacob's actions unconstitutional and promising a lengthy court battle. 
In the end, asking for the $5 million back was yet another misstep for Jay Cope. A.G. James says she can't legally pursue the money because the commission failed to do its homework and first determined specific penalties and fines for Cuomo's alleged violation of the public officer's law. And James says she can't act until Jay Cope first tries to collect the money itself. During the fall, Hochul and her staff met with government reform groups, including Caney's Reinvent Albany, as well as reform-minded state legislators, to get ideas for a completely new ethics oversight panel. What I'm going to do is turn it upside down and to challenge the premise that an entity that is created by elected officials with their own appointees should be charged with investigating those individuals should circumstances arise. The whole premise behind it is is flawed. Details are expected to be released in Hochul's State of the State speech on January 5th. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Joining us now, Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Shartok. And just like that, Alan, another year has swept by. And what a year it has been. Some people would probably not like to revisit 2021. But politically, that's what we're going to do now. I'm going to name some issues here. We'll get your reaction. Of course, the pandemic overwhelming all of us continued through 2021. You saw the governor riding high for a while. And then all of a sudden, we began to hear about allegations of sexual harassment which blew up after the state attorney general, Tish James, issued a blockbuster report called for by the governor investigating his behavior. The governor resigns. And not so long after that this year, we saw his brother, Chris Cuomo, the host of CNN, forced to resign for his role in helping his and defending his brother. How the mighty have fallen in 2021. Listen, David, this is not a year to be named Cuomo. Can you imagine what that was like? Here was this guy. He was governor. Every day that Trump was on, practically on CNN, he was on giving the other side, letting Trump have it. People admired him. I got letters saying, do you know the governor? I'd like a date with him. I mean, it was incredible. And that has, of course, changed. So nobody is ever safe in politics. The accusations, of course, which Cuomo denies, are that he laid hands on people, uh, on women. And who comes forward to defend you when that happens? People don't know. They don't know if it's true or not. But in any case, his fall from grace has been unbelievable. Now, look, David, we know there is a political class in Albany who just hate his guts. And in some cases, for very good reason. He was very tough on people. He was not a pleasant fellow when it came to collegiality with other politicians. And I had the sense they were going as far as they possibly could to make sure that he did not rise again. I felt in the beginning he had a shot at doing that, especially if he had come into the primary. But with the criminal charges that are being uh, put out against him and everything else, it's looking more and more like, at least for now, he's done. Or as a publisher I know once said, stick a fork in him. 
it is a it is a terrible thing to watch people fall that way. On the other hand, it's also interesting that we didn't really know an awful lot about what was going on on the inside. We talk politics and we say transparency, but in the end, there wasn't a lot of that. So people did everything they could to make sure there's a, there's a, that he was gone. There's a story about Stalin, about how Khrushchev came in and saw Stalin was lying on his deathbed. He was paralyzed, but his toe twitched, and, 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 and Khrushchev got very upset. Uh, they wanted to make sure in Albany that Cuomo's toe was not twitching and that he wasn't going to have a comeback and that he wouldn't be back. Look, this is a guy who has risen from the ashes before, and there's always a possibility he will again. As for Chris Cuomo, let me just say um, that, that whatever enmity was out there for uh, Andrew uh, certainly was going to be extended to Christopher, uh, who, uh, you know, quote, offered advice to his brother when he was in a, a calamitous situation. Uh I don't know. I think that the punishment may have been far greater than the far greater than the crime. And speaking of that, one of the more interesting things of the year, David, to me, was uh, the continued imprisonment of Shelley Silver for saying to a doctor, "If you send me people from my insurance business, I will get you a grant." Okay. He did it, he said it, uh, allegedly, uh, and he's been in prison for a long time. In the meantime, Joe Prococo, uh, who I think was given a six-year sentence, the closest aide to Andrew Cuomo, the man who Papa Cuomo, Mario, said was, the, was the, his third son. Um, he went to prison, uh, talking about bling and all the rest of it. Now he's out. But Sheldon Silver still sits in prison. I'm 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 very interested in that. Just in case anyone doesn't know, of course, Sheldon Silver, the former speaker of the New York State yeah. Assembly, and one of three of the most powerful men in the state at the time. Well, Alan, let's follow this. So the governor resigns. It's not too long after, as we know, the primaries were moved up to June in New York. So people who want to run for governor had to get in before well before the end of the year and that's just what who attorney general tish james did so she got into the race and then not too long after that she got out saying there were too many important investigations she's looking into president former president donald trump she wants to stick with the attorney general's position but in the meantime we were greeted to one poll after another that showed the lieutenant governor who stepped in after Cuomo resigned, Kathy Hochul, you know, performed well in those polls and at least for the meantime seemed to be a steady hand. Look, people, uh, when, when, when voters uh, were confronted with all of the accusations against Cuomo and everything else and all of the terrible mixture of animus and everything else that was going on, and they got Kathy Hochul, who I've always said from the very beginning was doing a competent job. Some people got mad at me, said it wasn't enough. No, competent is what she's been doing. Uh, and uh, she, uh, she has proven to be a steady hand, and that's what people want. 
when the polls were taken, it was clear that Tish James, Letitia James, was not doing that well. And here she had a choice. Do I want to continue doing the job that I'm getting a lot of accolades for, uh, my job as attorney general, and I think she's a superb attorney general, or do I want to be out doing nothing? So she said, okay, time to throw in the life preserver. I'm, I'm going to stay as attorney general, and I think she has, still has a brilliant career ahead of her. Yeah, and let's stick with her for a minute because, as I just said, the investigations into former President Trump go on. This has been an undercurrent all along throughout the year. What's going to happen? Now, you have multiple investigations by the attorney general right now and one that looks at the former president and his devaluing, undervaluing, or overvaluing his real estate holdings to gain tax benefits and other things, calling for him to be deposed. He then sued the attorney general. Then you have... The Manhattan District Attorney, Cy Vance Jr., who is about to leave office, bringing in uh, Alvin Bragg, a Democrat who says he'll continue those investigations. But we've got very important investigations that up till now don't seem to have produced much on the former president. Well, let's put it this way. I've been very disappointed in Cy Vance Jr., the district attorney. Very disappointed. You know, uh, he had all of the information. He was the hope that when he got it all and he got all those tax records and everything and he spent money bringing in experts and looking at it, that he would do something. He has not. And the clock is ticking. He's out of here. We'll see whether Mr. Bragg uh, has has, uh, an ability to go further and to do more with the material than Cy Vance did. I can certainly hope he, he, he will and he, that he has the guts to do it. But in politics, especially when you got somebody sitting on the top who's given a lot of money to politicians and others, you really got to wonder what these interlocking directorates are all about. And that's all I'm going to say. One of the other unfortunate things that had been go- has been going on in 2021 is shootings, homicides, up. And it's in most of the cities across New York State. And We see elections happening, and that produced Eric Adams as the new mayor of New York City, former police officer. Then you saw out on Long Island during the elections, Republicans with big wins, largely over the issue of bail reform. So uh, violence in cities, its impact on politics, and you might say there's a chunk been taken out of the progressive movement who began all this reform talk with statements like defund the police. David, you're right. This is a time of such uncertainty that crime was sure to follow this. Uh, And if there's one thing that people want, it's their own personal safety and the safety for their families. Every time you read a uh, story in the paper about how a kid is sleeping in the kitchen because too many bullets are going into apartments, and we're talking about a very small number here, And yet, uh, as the superb district attorney of Albany, uh, David Soros, has put it, uh, people in communities of color and other places need to have the law watching out for them. Uh, And he is so right. Uh, And so now you have this spate of criminal activity. uh, And this is when, let me tell you, you get dictators. This is when you get people who come on and say law and order, and if that means taking away people's civil liberties and rights, 
We're going to do it in order to protect you. And a lot of people will fall for it. Believe me, they will, until they're very sorry later on. Finally, Alan, the Republican Party in New York State. We just mentioned the gains they made in the elections. It seems as if many, including on the left, are looking for more moderate thinking on issues. And yet, sitting there as their lead candidate for governor Mm -hmm. is Representative Lee Zeldin, someone who voted against the certification of Joe Biden as president. There are those people who think as a result of what you just said that he is a Trumper. Uh, The Republicans put him up. They're convinced that with the chaos in the Democratic Party, with Cuomo leaving, uh, that they have a shot. I don't think they do. Not in blue state New York. Although I live in Massachusetts and we have a regular procedure in which we have elected Uh, what one could only call republicrats. In other words, uh, Republicans with Democratic leanings. And that is something that could happen, anything could happen, in New York. I doubt it very much. It's a very different state than Massachusetts. I think, in fact, uh, Hochul has been getting uh, very good polls. uh, And uh, I think, uh, you know, the chances of the Republican taking the governorship in New York is not very good. On the other hand, he's a Republican, and he's doing the best he can. He's throwing as much mud at the Democrats as he possibly can, and we'll have to see whether it works. Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Shartok. What a year. What a year. Let's hope that the next one is a lot better. You're here. listening to the Legislative Gazette, program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Albany County is expanding a pilot program that's designed to improve outcomes for nonviolent mental health emergency calls. The Legislative Gazette's Ashley Hupfel with more. The Albany County Crisis Officials Responding and Diverting, or ACCORD, program will be receiving $350,000 in state funds next year for the countywide expansion. Democratic County Legislature Chairman Andrew Joyce says the expansion is due to the program's success. We're borrowing on best practices from programs that have been instituted across the country. Um, And this is a response to a lot of the upheaval that we've seen over the past two years. Uh, We're experiencing a pandemic. good questions being raised. There are children out in the street protesting about police interactions with the public. How do we set good tone and set good policy and give police officers all the tools and training they need to effectively respond to a call and also keep the public safe? The Accord program first launched in the Hilltowns in June, consisting of two response teams with social workers from the county's mobile crisis team and paramedics from the Albany County Sheriff's Office, 
who have been trained to handle situations involving mental health and nonviolent emergency cases where law enforcement is not essential. So far, the program has helped more than 100 people with about 240 interactions between phone follow-up and in-person interactions. Each person was connected with services, reducing calls to 911 dispatch. Albany County Executive Dan McCoy says the COVID-19 pandemic has escalated the mental health crisis. Temperaments have changed. And it's harder for law enforcement to do their job and uh, to connect with people in the community that might just be a disturbance over a glass of milk being spilled. And this just gives more resources for the sheriff's department, the court, to have someone respond with the deputies uh, in the Hilltowns, because that's where we started it, uh, and say, hey, de-escalate it figure out they're not really there because of they need to be arrested, but they might just need a different way, another avenue to solve their issue. The pilot program has two social workers and two paramedics cover two eight-hour shifts. The county anticipates most municipalities will require three social workers or other qualified mental health professionals, as well as two paramedics. Larger municipalities may require a larger team. Albany County Sheriff Craig Apple says officers not only respond to mental health calls, but also follow up later. Some of our calls, we've had individuals, we've had homeless individuals looking to take their life. Um, we've been able to respond, we've been able to talk to them, we've been able to divert them. Um, we've been able to follow up. And that's really what it's about as well. The R and the D is the great, is great, responding and diverting. But the follow up is actually the most important part. Other, otherwise, that person will regress if they don't continue the counseling or continue the medical treatment, whatever the case may be. Reporting from Albany, I'm Ashley Hupful. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. As communities across the state this year decide whether to opt out of selling recreational marijuana, the Schenectady City Council recently reversed a preliminary vote to opt out of cannabis sales. The Legislative Gazette's Lucas Willard explains. Municipalities in New York have the option to opt out before a December 31st state deadline, but can opt back in at any time. So far, more than 400 localities have opted out. Last week, the Schenectady City Council's Government Operations Committee advanced a measure to opt out of hosting recreational marijuana dispensaries and lounges. Democratic Mayor Gary McCarthy disagreed with the committee's decision. He spoke with WAMC last week. Would have preferred the council not go down that path, but uh, 
and we'll just see how it plays out. Monday night, the council voted 3-2 to two against a resolution to opt out, introduced by Democratic City Councilor Marion Porterfield. Opting out doesn't mean never. It means we're going to take the time to look at this, to make sure we've done it well, we've done it right, we've heard from the public, and we can move forward and do this in a way that's beneficial by revenue and social um, impact to all citizens of the city of Schenectady. If successful, the decision to opt out would have been reviewed by the council within 90 days. Outgoing Democratic City Councilor Karen Zaluski-Wildzunas voted against the opt-out legislation. I do not want Schenectady to miss out on any opportunity to help bring more business to the city, more redevelopment, and more revenue. I do not have the faith in the incoming city council that it will be addressed in the beginning of next year and we can't lose this time. Members of the public also offered their opinions on Monday night's resolution. Sandra Stevens operates a jewelry store and CBD shop in Schenectady. She welcomes recreational marijuana stores to the city. I passed away seven years ago and was revived. I was dead for four minutes, bled out during one of my surgeries. I felt it imperative to lobby for medical marijuana, but good dispensaries offer what our program in New York State has failed to do, under the former administration. We can offer a 50-50 split, 50% THC at a much higher level than the 3% that we're allowed at CBD and THC, which will help our cancer patients. Racial justice activist and Schenectady City School Board member Jamaica Miles urged the city council to take its time to ensure an equitable rollout of recreational marijuana sales. It is not enough to simply say we opt in if we've not done the work to ensure that we're going to move forward in a way that is going to prioritize the very community that has been under the foot of the police force for the drug laws that are now supposed to be obsolete. Also this week, the suburban Saratoga County town of Clifton Park voted unanimously to opt out of recreational marijuana sales, joining the neighboring communities of Glenville and Niskayuna in Schenectady County. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Lucas Willard. And that about does it for this week's show. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. For copies, call 1-800-323-9262. That's 1-800-323-9262. Ask for program number 2153. Or just listen or podcast on the web at wamc.org. And join us again next week at this same time for more news on New York State government and politics. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustina.